You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Okay. This is how I'll start today. I want to ask if you had just 40 days to live, what do you do? Actually, want to hear your answers. I know I will skydive then. I will now find the money on this guy. Because skydiving is a big man, extreme sports. You have to have money. That's an old thing. But I will skydive then. I will drive a race car on the race course. Uh, what else? I know you're expecting me to say spiritual things, but to be honest, I will skydive. So what would you do if you had put this to me? Let me hear. Was what? You're running marathon. Yeah, you have to this thing to run in the journey. Amen. But I want to see who else. I want to hear interesting things. All of us have our budget list. Now, what do we? Married. Alright, so what else would you do if you have to put this to me? <laughs> okay, I know, I know for free it's Miriamma. Anyway, what would you do the actual things today? Okay, let me see. Precious, you have for things today. Travel around the world. You don't need money to do that. All these positions and classes are nice. So you see, yeah, that's why it's coming around. Let's go. Like you don't need to travel. Like you just go to the airport and say, "I'm in my twenties." All right. So if you have forty days to live, what else would you do? And you have absolutely just forty days left on this earth. What would you? What would you do? I don't know. So much. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. I don't need to all broken relationships. Yeah, let me. Oh my God! So you like If you ask me about Expanded his ministry to Israel. So he just at that time, and you know, after he raised from the dead, he could cover distance without walking. He just disappeared and appeared. He just appeared in China. I said, Bow before me. I'm the golden dragon. <laughs> and then all of China, that was it. And then you go to see me. If you come to Nigeria, you will have any problem, but you will have spread it out somehow. He actually had 40 days to live, or 40 days left on the earth after his resurrection. And it's interesting what he spent those 40 days doing. Open your hands to Acts chapter 1 verse 3. 
Acts 1 3. Are you there? He says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. Because we know that the word passion makes reference to his sufferings. How many of you have the word suffering in your Bible? Great. So, after his passion, by many infallible proofs, the word infallible is you cannot debate it. It, it was proved beyond reasonable doubt. You see? Then he says, being seen of them 40 days, and everybody reads the last night that I want to go, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus had ex- exactly 40 days left on the earth. He would have used those 40 days to try out every single ice cream flavor there is. Some of you have to go ahead with this. He could have used the 40 days to do many things. He could have gotten married and given birth to a child in 40 days. But he decided that he would spend those 40 days teaching his disciples. It tells you the amount of premium Jesus placed on knowledge. You see, in the body of Christ, sadly, a lot of premium, a lot of importance hasn't been given to knowledge. But that's changing. A lot of churches, a lot of people, not just churches now, a lot of Christians would say a church service was nice if the following things happened. Choir is tight. Amen. If the choir is tight, or maybe on those testimony sessions that lasted like six hours. And then, you know, there are interesting testimonies and there are boring testimonies. Boring testimonies praise the Lord, I don't think of the salvation of my soul. Not that really pastor. Which has the most important testimony was very boring. Then there are interesting ones that last week I was going to enter this room. The Holy Ghost said I should enter This other man I was wishing to get tangents. Brethren, go and behold. As we were going, we saw when this bus comes six times forward, four times backward. <laughs> and as he was coming, the Holy Ghost was just telling that's how our enemies will be tumbling forward and backward. And so the church service is interesting because of that. Thank God for testimonies. Thank God for deliverance. Thank God for breakthrough. But did you know that in the New Testament, after the prayer for salvation, the next most prayed prayer was prayer for knowledge? It is true that my people perish because they lack knowledge. It's true. It's true. And so, a lot of the things that as believers we go through, a lot of the things that the devil takes us through, we go through them because we don't know. How painful would it be? Has this never happened to you that you're looking for maybe your phone and it's in your hand? Or you're using your phone touch to look for your phone? Has it happened to you before? How foolish do you feel when you realize, oh, the phone is right here? How painful would it be when you realize that you've been condemning yourself for so long for no reason? 
Some people's prayer life is sent begging God. Lord, mercy. Lord, mercy, Lord. Listen, there is nothing wrong with asking God to have mercy. That means you can go ahead. But what kind of a relationship would it be between my wife and I if the entire relationship I spent it begging my wife for mercy? <laughs> so we wake up in the morning and I'm like, we have mercy. And so a lot of people, their relationship with God is stunted. It's not growing. Why? Lack of knowledge. Jesus had 40 days to live, and he spent those 40 days on teaching. A lot of people don't want to be taught. I've been to churches the entire <laughs> you have a four-hour service. I keep you up. Four hours service, only 20 minutes of teaching. They do Thanksgiving, they do now. Thanksgiving is not bad. So it's not like I'm saying they shouldn't do it. But I'm saying that if you cook food and you don't put salt inside, or you don't put it, okay, this is the thing. If you want to cook a bowl of rice, you put water on fire. You put salt, you want to cook your rice. You put water, you put your oil, you put salt, you put money, you put sugar if you want, because I don't know how. All those things inside, or you don't put rice. Have you cooked rice? Jollof. <laughs> you just put jollof. <laughs> and that's exactly what it looks like when a service is devoid of doctrine. Of teaching. A lot of people hear the word doctrine and cringe. I was listening to a man, he was preaching, he was going on and on, and he said, Doctrine is what God said yesterday. Revelation is what God is saying now. And I said, Look, look, Doctrine just means teaching. You understand that? It just means teaching. So, what am I saying? I'm saying, as Christians, place a lot of premium on teaching. Can you hear what I'm saying? Place a lot of importance on teaching. A lot of people have written up a pastor, not because his teaching is wrong, but because they don't like his hair. It's wrong. And it's dangerous. So, someone that God is supposed to use to bless us, you've not heard the man teach. You don't know whether what he's saying is correct from scripture, but you've written him off. Why? I just don't like the way they do that sense. Come on. The book of Acts, the church in Berea was described as noble because they were given to teaching. And after being taught in research, praise the Lord. Look at it. If you look at if you read 90% of Paul's prayers were about teaching. The idea of understanding being enlightened that you may know 
what is the rule of his conduct. And you may know he was speaking to Timothy. Timothy was a man who Paul treated like a father. And speaking to Timothy, he says to him, and that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. So there's a wisdom that the scriptures give you. Praise the Lord. Listen, it is true. Just look at anybody. There are people who you, you knew them before, then they were saved and start under good teaching and subscribe to the teaching. And when you see them now, it's absolute. It's like they know a lot of stuff now. Because there's the wisdom that comes from the word. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and so he says, You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. But he tells that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So you see, you see that, that word profitable means it is useful for what it was given for is doctrine. So why were the scriptures given? Doctrines are a lot of people use the scriptures as um, pills. Have you seen the word capsules? If you are angry, James chapter one verse five. If you are not happy, Psalm twenty-two verse twenty-nine. If you are feeling sick, Ezra 1920. You know, things like that. That's not what the scripture was given for. Do you understand? What was the Bible given for? You see, God doesn't want you to combat sadness by blaming the verse of scripture. You know, or memorizing one verse of scripture. God wants you to combat sadness by having the entirety of scripture living inside of you. Do you get what I'm saying? So, when the sadness comes, the Lord remembering that he said the Lord things give them. Because it's difficult. Is that true? But when the sadness comes and you remember that not only will I give them, but I know why. Because I know the entirety of scripture, the sadness is not easier to take care of. The doctrine is important, the teaching is important. He said, God's scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. He said that the man of God may be truly furnished. Truly. That is, you know, there's this thing we used to say in secondary school that you pass through the school and the school passes through you. You will pass through scripture and the scripture will pass through you. We know from your speech. The scripture has entered you. Actually, you get what I'm saying. Not only your speech, some situations will occur. Every other person is running at last time when you have peace. And you're like, ah, what I mean is you're like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm not interested. Scriptures have affected you. That's changed the way you think. That's changed the way you talk. Believe me, it's calm. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Say that to me. I will give myself to the teaching of the word. I will give myself to the teaching of the word. I will give myself to the study of the word. I will give myself to the study of the word. I will grow as the word is taught. 
But now, we see not yet all things put under him. So, let me just explain what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that, David said, what's going on your mind from him? You made me little one of the angels for a short while. And he now went on to say, that you put all things under his subjection. But the writer of Hebrews is asking, well, we actually know that everything is under the subjection of man, except a few things. For example, death is under that subjection of man. What that? Is that true? Oh, not that. So he's like, so that would not matter. So what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you is, who David was talking about is not a general man. Do you get that now? Raise your hand if you understand it. Raise your hand if you don't. Alright, I'll take it again. Let's read verse 8. Can I have the NIV, please? I'm using the NIV because it's written in my knowledge. Hebrews 2 8, are you there? He says, in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Do you understand? So he's saying, in putting, when David said, oh, you have put everything under the subjection of man, what that is meant to mean is that man is going to have rule and authority over everything. Right? But, that's not so. If you're starting to rely on, do you feel like you have to have authority like that? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? That's not so. So what the writer of Hebrews is trying to show you is that David was not at, David was speaking prophetically about another man, not the natural one. Do you follow? Do you follow? So he explains, he drives his point home in verse 9. He says, but we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a short time. So now, he's telling you, Jesus is the best David was talking about, and he's now comparing Jesus to everything David said. Jesus, originally you follow Right. He says, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a short while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so, that one thing, that is not under the subjection of the natural man, which is death, we do see Jesus, who died, and when he said he was crowned with glory and honor, he was trying to explain to you that he was raised from the dead. Do you follow? So we do see Jesus who died and was raised from the dead and he saw him in contact death so that in his death he might taste death for everyone. Do you get that? So when David said, what is man? Who was he talking about? Do you follow it? But when David was saying it, David was actually complaining. Or he was actually talking about what is man and the man who was dead. So to David, he was talking about the natural man. But God used David's words as a prophecy for the Christ. So, God in sundry times and in diverse manners spoke to the fathers through the... How many of you understand that so far? Okay. Praise the Lord. And so this tells you, or or father. He now, on the right of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1, says, But he has in these last days, pointing a form of finality, is that true? If I say something like this, if I say, Oh, we used to do this like this before, but now, 
What I'm trying to say is, whatever we used to do before has found its final change and resting place in what we do now. Once you follow it, is that true? So when he says, but he has in these last days spoken to us in his song, what he is explaining is that now, while God spoke in diverse manners and in diverse times, that is, he spoke in portions and packets of truth. That is, in little parts of the Old Testament, you will see many prophecies. That is, God never said everything at once before. Now, he has said everything at once. And everything he has said at once, he said it in the person of his son, Jesus. Just so, simply put, the full revelation of God that was given in the Old Testament was completed in Christ. Amen. Amen. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus speaking says, Search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But he said, You don't know that these are they, meaning the scriptures, that testify of me. So the scriptures testify of Jesus. So simply put, all of the Old Testament finds his meaning in who? Did you get that? Why does it look like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different? To be honest, does it look like they are different? Does it look like in the Old Testament God is really angry? Then in the New Testament he became a grandpa with grandkids and became very soft. Does it look like that? The reason why it looks that way is not like he was really angry, but people do not know who he was. Do you get that? So they only related with him on half packets of truth. Do you know what I'm saying? Did you ever have a teacher in school who all you knew about that teacher, especially um, if he was the math teacher or social studies teacher, they were not knew how to talk. So all you knew about that teacher was he knew how to talk. And so your perception of that teacher was this guy is the brother. And then you actually at some point say, I pity this man's wife and I pity his children. But one day, you spent like maybe more than 30 minutes with him and you realize he's actually a nice person. It's just that he has a problem, he has a bad, it's never happened to you. Or there was somebody you saw from afar and you complained your mind that this person is not. But one day you spoke to the person and you like, he's actually nice. Did that never happen? That was exactly the condition in the Old Testament. You had incomplete truths about God. So while it is true that God is just, he's also love. But the only sort of justice and beauty in love. In Christ, we see justice and love better than in one place. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So, Christ is the full completion representation of God. Hebrews 1 2 says that. He says the, he's the express image of the Father. What that means is, if you see Christ, you say the Father. He said to himself, he said, he said to Jesus Christ, He said to him, Show us the Father and the Supreme Lord. And Jesus said, Have I been with you all this time and you still ask me to show you the Father? He will see me, you see the Father. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. Are you following? Yes, Father. So Jesus is the embodiment of the Father. This also means that Jesus is the embodiment of the plan of the Father. Is that true? This also means that all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were actually in some way trying to mirror the person of Jesus Christ. Is that also true? And so this will make sense to you now. 
Because in John chapter, I think John chapter, let me see, John chapter 1. If you know my book, it's John chapter 1, are you there? <laughs> are you there? In John chapter 1, verse 29, you have of Jesus coming forth to be baptized. And, and so, um, um, John, Jesus' cousin, is baptizing people by the Jordan, the river Jordan. Alright? And then, so he has baptized, 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 and then Jesus starts to walk in. You know, big boy Jesus. He's coming, and then John sees him from afar. And John screams, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. First of all, that's a very weird way to warn somebody. Because all people say, like, yeah, uh, or people, or a bad guy, or chief, or chairman. But you warn the guy with, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You've got to understand the reference he was trying to make. Why was he called the Lamb of God? Well, there is a doctrine in Christianity that is called the doctrine of substitution. And what that doctrine teaches us is the sins of one will be put on another and that person will die. Or that thing, that animal will die for the other one. Did you see that? And God instituted this doctrine first of all in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 or 21. Genesis 3, 21. Genesis 3, 21. Are you there? Like, Genesis 3 is like the next page after you pray the Bible. Are you there now? Yes, Alright. He says, Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. This is beautiful. Because, you see, Adam sinned. Eve sinned. They are both sinned. Now, what God does to cover the nakedness that they realized that they were in. And I hope you know, listen, when the Bible says that they discovered that they were naked, it doesn't mean that they never knew that they were naked. That they never saw that they were naked. Because think about it, clothes were not yet invented. Yes or no? So how could they have known that they didn't cover their bodies? So when Bible says that they discovered they were naked, it doesn't mean that before they were moving around or they could not see each other's nakedness. No. What it actually means when Bible says they discovered that they were naked was their eyes opened to condemnation and shame. Do you understand? So what they felt in the discovery of their nakedness was shame. Are you following? It was shame. And so, listen to me from Adam's words. God is walking in the garden in the cool of the night, and then God calls Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, the woman you gave me, Shabbat, the woman you gave me, gave me a fruit to eat, I ate it, 
from my eyes open and I saw I was naked, I'm so afraid of him. Why did he go and hide? He was ashamed. There was condemnation. Do you understand that? And so he was ashamed of himself. He brought condemnation upon himself. He had sinned. And what did God do? God killed an animal and used the skin of that animal to cover that condemnation. Do you understand? In so doing, God instituted the idea of sacrifices. You know, a lot of people will say, why is it that God demanded sacrifices in the Old Testament? Well, because that was how he covered Adam's nakedness. God did not have the need of the sacrifices that he will now be. So, when you kill the animal and you spill the blood, he will drink it. <laughs> Do you understand? So, he wasn't asking for sacrifices to drink the blood. The sacrifices were supposed to be symbolic of the atonement for sins that the people were going through. Because, you see, if he is a just God, then Adam should have died for the sin. Is that true? I mean, look at this. He says to Adam, the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely If he was being just, completely just, Adam ate of the tree. He died spiritually, which was the work of God, if you think about it. Because God created a race of people who were spiritually alive. And then Adam went to that eat of the tree and died spiritually. To be honest, if you were the creator, most justice cases here are not strength because if you if you reproduce like this man, every other person you produce will be dead like this. Let's just kill you now. Wait, I might be honest, I don't know Let's just kill you now. That is just the two of you and start the game. I mean, what did it take to create Adam? Sand, you sand not finished. You remove the brother's sand and breathe his hand. I'm calling you Adam. Adam two points old, you know? And then you create it, and then you will kill the serpent. So I'm going to go to high again. Right? But is it not beautiful that God in his loving mercy allowed Adam to do? And instead of Passing out that judgment on Adam, he took it out on that animal, killed the animal and put the skin on Adam. And he put the skin on Adam to say, You see this condemnation you feel? I'm covering it. That shame that you feel, I'm taking it away. You understand? Because the nakedness that Adam saw was the shame he felt. And so in covering him up, God said, Well, I'm taking away that shame. I'm taking away that condemnation. Do you see? Praise the Lord. And this is why God chose kings for combat. This is why God chose kings and Abel's sacrifice above kings only. Have you ever asked why did God pick Abel's over and not king? Which have you ever asked? And some people will tell you that it's because Abel picked the finest cows. He just picked dead crops. No, Cain did not bring dead crops. He brought crops. General crops. But Abel brought 
animals and sacrifice animals following the pattern that God had already revealed. Do you understand? So in keeping up with that pattern, God accepted the sacrifice because it was instituted by him. And he did not accept Cain too. Now, to show you that it's not that he was angry with Cain. When Cain killed Abel, God said, if you bought the right sacrifice, I was thinking. Right? So, uh, why did God take Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Because Abel's sacrifice was substitutionary. After the pattern that he had already shown. Do you get what I'm saying? And all through, even when God gave the laws, he had an Exodus 21, you see. Let me be sure. Exodus 29, from verse 41 to 42. You also have God talk about Numbers 29, verse 2. You have where God gives the law, and he talks about sin offerings, want offerings. But the idea, the general idea still remains that someone else or something else will take the place or the, it will pay the atonement price for the one who sin. And this is beautiful for you and I. It's beautiful for you and I because you know in the Old Testament there was this other practice they used to do. There, there was a, you know where you get word scapegoat from? It's actually a biblical term. It's a biblical term. The scapegoat was a goat and they would bring and everybody will lay their hands on the goats and release the goats. So the idea was when they lay their hands on the goats, the goats will take all their sin and they will release it far into the goats. So it's made their sins far away from them. Just it's beautiful that in killing the Christ, this is wonderful, he was flogged within the city, wounded for transmissions, but his killing was actually done far away from the city, as God was a place of storm. Is that true? And so, not only did he take your place as a substitution, he was your scapegoat too. You see, when sacrifices were made for sins, the sins still remained. And so, this is what they did. Knowing that the sins still remain, they would then bring another goat and lay their hands on the goat and say, let's take our sins far away. We've atoned for the sin, but the consciousness of the sin still remains, so take it far away. But Christ did all of it in one move. He was strong for your sins, and then he went out to die for the same sins. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And there's one story that we sound in my mind every single time I think about the substitution. One Bible character that I would love to ask how he felt. And it's the guy Barabbas, the thief. Remember Barabbas? No Barabbas and Barabbas are different. Remember Barabbas? He was a thief. He was supposed to die. He was come of the earth. I hope you know that it was only Barabbas was such a terrible person that Pilate was sure that he would pick Jesus and kill Barabbas. Do you know? Like Pilate saw the angry mob 
that came to kill Jesus. Chanting, kill him, kill him, kill him. And then they go to him. And then they are chanting, kill him, kill him. And Pilate is like, hmm, how do I free this guy? And Pilate, in Pilate's mind, this was what was supposed to play out. They will be chanting, kill him, kill him. He said, okay, hold on. They are like, no, kill him. And they are like, okay, wait, you will choose. I want to free somebody. Should I free Barabbas? Or kill Jesus. And what was expecting this? As they are chanting, kill him, kill him. And he says, free Barabbas. No, 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 no. That's not what he should have Kill Barabbas. They kill Jesus later. Leave Jesus to us now. We'll come back later. Jesus, that's what he expected. He expected that he would be Barabbas. That's how terrible the guy was. He was a sinner. Terrible. He was come of the earth. But they beat him. They freed him. And killed Jesus. And that's the substitution that we have. That's the doctrine of substitution. That Barabbas will go home. His wife will see him. Or his brother will see him. We are dead. What happened? The Barabbas was trying to say, I don't know this man, I don't know what I did to him, but someone is like this. That's your story. You are Barabbas. But you understand? You are Barabbas. Stop on the earth. That's what we are. Now we are. You know what? You know the wrong things you have done. You know how terrible you've been. You know how far you've gone. But someone took your place. That's the beauty of Christianity. That somebody died in my place. There's a song I love. It says, God, you are so faithful. Your love never ends. You've proven to me that you are a valuable friend. You are my defender. You will cover my soul. Your mercy and grace, you are all. Your mind perfect sacrifice. You fill my space. When I desire death, Lord, you stood in my place. Beautiful. You were the center of death, though. You know, we all think that the next thing that was this one center of death. So I know I've got some wrong things, but that guy is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, too. Imagine if God, or like, imagine if God took it strictly. He will lie in that. Is that true? He clothes you with glory from within. 
Do you understand? So, not only did he cover the nakedness, he took away the source of shame. Took away the source of condemnation. And so Romans 8 1 clearly says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you follow? So, what was the wrong thing you did? Now that I know a lot of you last year just came back a couple of weeks ago from home. Holiday <laughs> period is the visual period. Am I the issue? Ah, I guess so. It's the visual period. You know what you did now? You go back to school for fellowship. And they're shouting, they're, they're saying, pray in the name of the prayer. I don't know if you remember me. Just sweat me outside. Thank God he's merciful, right? Imagine if God answered all this of prayer that God, if I lie again, smite me. Ah! You just come here to class. Where are you? I'm not going to be fine. You are God. Let the work of Christ do its work in your life. If He took your place, allow Him to take it. Don't let condemnation destroy you. Don't let guilt and shame destroy you. You made a mistake, yes. But God knows. John said that, and He has forgiven you because somebody took your place. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say, I'm loved by God. Christ is my substitution. And so, this is what I want you to do now. Anytime you do something wrong, put your hands on the lamb. Alright? And let it go far away. Do it in your mind. I'm serious. You know how terrible condemnation affects your relationship with God? Do you know? There are some of your friends that you know you are wrong. They don't say anything about it to you, but you can't call them. So I might say the truth. Because if you feel like, I have not messed up. I don't even know how to call this person and talk to this person, honestly. And then of us carry that same attitude to God. And what God wants you to know is that before me, there's no mess up that's big enough to stay away from me. Do you get what I'm saying? If you know this, if you walk with this knowledge every day, I promise you, joy will be your new normal. Every day there will be joy in your heart. Think about it. You mean I'm forgiven regardless? Yes. Many of us always feel like we've done so much. I've done what I've done. Have you ever sat down to speak of Paul the Apostle, the person that wrote the terms of the New Testament? Think of how wicked that guy was. So, the Pharisees are Sadducees, which were naturally wicked on their own. They carried stealing to stone stealing. And then at some point, while the first stealing was talking, they started to guilty conscience. Ah, Caesar is blood, I don't be on my hands. Paul said, let his blood be on my head and my family. 
listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.